We will praise his name forevermore. That is the truth. We will. And today's lesson, also taken like last week's from Luke chapter 22, towards the end here when we're dealing with the passion of Christ, the chapters get pretty long in Luke as they do in Matthew. And and so uh, we're kind of slowing the pace down a bit so we don't miss some of these good bits. Uh, We're talking about what it means to say that you know Christ. And we're talking about what it means to say that you don't know Christ. It's kind of tough to go against the crowd. I ran across a weird quote, and it's weird because of who said it and what he said. There's a uh, philosopher in the 19th century that I, I don't like very much, although he's really a good writer. I don't think of him as very consistent, and I don't think of him as very honest. His name is uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, and he, he would prefer to say something that sounds clever than to say something true, in my opinion. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but it was odd, this particular quote was out of character for him, because he's the great proponent of the individual over the masses. And in the work where this appears, actually, he he complains about the common herd and, and, and what a pain they are and how, you know, the, the great-minded person has to rise above and not care about what the common people think. But he also says this, and this is what struck me, a bad conscience is easier to cope with than a bad reputation. If you parse what he means there, he says, I would rather think badly of myself in my own mind than to have other people think badly of me. I would rather violate my own sense of what's right and wrong rather than to have other people think badly of me than to drop in their estimation. And that is just creepy. That is just creepy. It may be true of a lot of us and maybe all of us sometimes. It's certainly true of the main story we're looking at today, the story of Peter's denial. He certainly violated his own conscience rather than to have those people gathered around in that courtyard think badly of him. But that is just a creepy sentiment. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, where do you think the human race stands on that issue? Would you rather... Think badly of yourself, violate your own conscience, or would you rather have other people think you're horrible? Well, this issue of confessing Jesus sometimes comes down to that, as it did for Peter in this main story. Are you going to be willing to put yourself out there as a Christian and say what you really think about Jesus? Even when it's unpopular, even when people are mocking your faith, even when it's difficult or even may involve you in person, are you willing, even if that drops you in people's estimation? Or are you going to cave as Peter did in our story today? Peter didn't always act the way that he did in, in this episode, go back to Luke 9, and it's there on your study sheets. 
Jesus asks, and this is, this is actually the literary turning point, so we've referred to it before. This is kind of the big moment in the Gospel of Luke, when everything changes. Luke 9. Who do the crowds say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say one of the prophets of long ago who's come back to life. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered. He was speaking for the other disciples, but notice it's Peter. And he's not hesitant at all. You are the Christ of God. Period. Boldly. Unapologetically. That's who you are. That's what I believe. You're the Christ of God. And Peter really believes that. That is in his heart. We've been seeing that coming all the way from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And now the disciples have ratified it. We've seen all of that. And Jesus now begins to explain what that means. He says, that means I have to be crucified. Peter doesn't like that very much, but that's what it means. I have to be crucified. But notice what Jesus goes on and says. Verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Whoever is ashamed of me, look at verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says, Peter, you've said right. That is the truth. I am the Christ of God. You believe the right things. Be willing to confess it. See, confessing Jesus is both a test of our faith and a sign of our salvation. It's a test of our faith right now because the world doesn't believe this. And it's a test because every time we're in the face of people who don't believe that Jesus is the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the anointed one, the one on whom all the world hinges, whenever we're in the face of people who doubt that, and we are tested to see if we will confess it. I went back and looked at uh, the News OK feed for January the 2nd the headlines about predicting the Sugar Bowl. These are Oklahoma City or Oklahoma journalists. Ryan Abner, Alabama 41, OU 32. Title, Rolled. Sooners hang with the tide but can't slow down McCarran. Jenny Carlson, columnist, Alabama 41, OU 23. Title, Wave. Fired up Alabama overpowers OU. Jason Kersey, OU writer. Alabama 31, OU 14. Big Easy, A.J. McCarron and the Crimson Tide brush off the Iron Bowl loss, breeze past the Sooners in New Orleans. Barry Trammell, columnist. Alabama 27, OU 17. Bowl Tide. Sooners hang tough, but Alabama pulls away. That was the day of 
What were the fans predicting? Well, that was kind of fun. I went down in the, the reaction of the fans on that day, and the first six fans, OU fans, of course, said, nah, OU's going to win. I love that. OU, and they were making various predictions. I like one of these. The first guy, Ed Cotter. OU 24, Alabama, uh, OU 34, Alabama 27, roll tide. And another guy says, good prediction. And another guy says, okay, maybe it's a good prediction, but it has nothing to do with reality. Then you get to see all of the abuse he takes the next day. Thing of beauty. Where do you want to be in making predictions about Jesus Christ? The world is full of people who proclaim him a loser. It's pretty easy. He died on a cross. Losers die on crosses. Where do you want to be? in making predictions about Jesus Christ. This is both a test of your faith and it is a sign of your salvation. Who is it that proclaims the truth about Jesus Christ? It's saved people. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me now, then I'll be ashamed of you then. When the whole world knows the truth about me, I'll be ashamed of you because you were ashamed of me now. That's what he says. This is a sign of your salvation that right now, when, when the world is in doubt, you're not. When the world says no way, you say yes way, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is coming back. Confession of Jesus is both a test of our faith and a sign of our salvation. The main story we're looking at verses back in Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, the, the story that John read for us, Peter, in that courtyard of the high priest. Jesus has just been dragged away. We know from other sources, it's Peter who swings the sword that chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter really was ready to fight for Jesus. He was ready to kill people for Jesus. You know, he just a terrible aim. He meant to chop somebody's head off. And that's an ironic thing about human bravery. It is easier to recruit people to kill for Jesus than it is to recruit people to die for Jesus. It's easier to recruit people to a Christianity that says, come and hurt other people for me. Than it is to recruit people to say, come and be hurt for the sake of Jesus Christ. And the high calling of Jesus is, take up your cross. Don't go out crucifying others in my name. You know? And that was, I think, that's what broke... Peter, to be honest, he was ready to kill people for Jesus. But when Jesus says, no, put up your sword. And when Jesus 
has the gall to reach out and actually heal the person that Peter thought, yeah, I wounded somebody, and, and Jesus heals him. And says, we're not going to fight. I think Peter couldn't take it. And when he sees the master that he's sunk everything into, the one that he's bet everything on, and he sees him humiliated and laughed at and dragged away like a common criminal in the middle of the night, and there he is, absolutely at the mercy of that corrupt authority structure that all, you know, all the good Jews kind of despise anyway. And, and, and Jesus has no power at all, and they all can tell where this is going to head. And I think Peter just is broken by that. He's so broken. Who does Luke say is the first person to come up to him? It looks like that, you know, there were groups that were coming up to him. But who is the first person, according to Luke, that comes up to him? A girl, a serving girl. It would be, you know, in our culture, it's hard to, it's actually hard to translate this into our culture because we don't have the kind of status differentials that they had in the ancient world. It'd be like being afraid to confess Jesus to a waitress, sort of, I guess. That's a little bit like the status differential here. But the status differential between Peter and this serving girl is much, much greater. Because men, all men, outranked all women in Jewish society. And a girl who's not even a woman yet is outranked by everybody who is a grown-up. And a servant is outranked by everybody else. So this is like Three strikes, Peter. I mean, you, if you could stand up to anybody, you should be able to stand up to this little girl. And you can't even do that. Nope. Don't know him. Nope. Never heard of him. Nope. I'm no part of that group. Nope. 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 I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. Whatever it takes, Jesus. I'll kill anybody that tries to attack you, Jesus, too. I don't even know who Jesus is. Jesus who? And Luke's the only one that tells us this little detail. Verse 61, it's a heartbreaking detail. Just as he was speaking, verse 60, the, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I don't know. I don't know how Peter didn't just like turn to ash right then, you know? Just vaporize from shame. Just. But he didn't. But he did do the right thing. He cried. Because he knew what had just happened. Jesus didn't need me to kill people for him. Jesus doesn't need me to insult people for him. Jesus doesn't need me to abuse people for him. Jesus doesn't need me to be mean in his name. You know what Jesus needed from me? Jesus needed for me to say, I believe in him. And I couldn't do that. 
And Peter cried. When Christians are afraid to confess Christ, it makes the burden of Christ much harder. Jesus is trying to win the world. He's trying to win the world. He's trying to win the world through the weapons of of God's warfare, not human warfare. And we all know that every time a Christian, somebody who's recognized as a Christian, sins, big sins or little sins, the world loves that, and that makes it harder. The same thing is true every time a Christian is too chicken to own the name of Christ. Every time a Christian gets buffaloed by the crowd they're with and says, well, I don't really believe that stuff. I won't really stand up for that Christian morality stuff. I have my doubts about that. Every time a Christian chickens out, it makes the burden of Jesus Christ harder. That's just the way it is. Jesus is on trial, verse 63 through 71. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. And they blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? They said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together. And Jesus was led before them. If you're the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you'll not believe me. If I ask you, you wouldn't answer But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And they all asked, are you then the Son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. Which is the same as saying, yes, it's as you say. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. That's a... That's a great moment, although it's a tragic moment. They say, essentially, we put you under oath. Tell us the truth. And he says, I don't really think this is about truth anymore, is it? He kind of calls them out on what's going on just to make sure they know he knows and he knows they know. This whole thing hasn't been about truth at all. You arrested me in the middle of the night. We know we're not dealing with truth. But I'm going to give you the truth anyway. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of glory. It's going to happen. Are you the Son of God? You've said it. Jesus confesses what Peter was afraid to confess. And here's the takeaway for us. What Christians confess about Christ will one day be confessed by the whole universe. When you say Jesus is Lord, when you say Jesus is the Christ, when you say, I think everything in the universe is judged by Jesus Christ, that is a, those are statements that one day the entire universe is going to agree with. They don't agree now. They don't agree right now. But one day, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Every tongue will confess the truth of what Christianity proclaims right now. And so the question is, 
Where are you going to be when that happens? Jesus says it's going to be obvious that I'm seated at the right hand of God. It's going to be obvious. Where will you be? It's been complaints on and off since 2008 about the fact that the big financial institutions, nobody of the big muckety-mucks has really you know, served any time in jail. What if, to make up for that, Goldman Sachs made this offer? The first 10,000 people to apply, to apologize for the mess we made of the American economy, the first 10,000 people to apply for us, uh, to us, we will wipe out your debt. You got mortgage, gone. You got student debt, gone. You got credit card debt, gone. You got car debt, gone. We will wipe out the first 10,000 people. It's kind of my dream, actually. That'd be nice. It's my story. I can make it how I want. If you heard about that, who would you tell? Who would you tell? There might be some people you wouldn't tell. Who would you tell? Let me ask it a different way. Who would never forgive you if you didn't tell them? What excuses would you come up with to explain why you didn't tell that after it became public knowledge? See, the deal is, right now, the truth about Jesus, the world has managed to suppress that. They've managed to lie to themselves. They've managed to shuffle it off one way or another, a cycling circle of one lie after another to kind of keep that truth suppressed. Eventually, that truth's going to come out. What's been whispered is going to be shouted. Everybody's going to know the truth about Jesus Christ. And, and who's going to be mad at you that you didn't tell them? You know? I mean, what the excuses that we tell ourselves about why we don't confess, how are they going to look on that day? Seriously. Well, I just didn't want to seem pushy. Really? About people's eternal destiny? And the one way that they can be saved? Do you really don't want to be pushy about that? Well, I didn't want to come off judgmental. I figured that they probably wouldn't listen. I didn't. Think about how those excuses are going to play when everybody knows the truth about Jesus. Here's the deal. Right here, right now, we are in a battle. And it is an asymmetrical warfare. The world has its kind of weapons, and we have our kind of weapons. Our weapons are the weapons of telling the truth, mainly the truth about Jesus Christ. The world has a whole slate of other weapons. They tell lies to themselves and to others.
And they will say all kinds of false things about Jesus and about Christianity and everything else. And our answer is to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And they have honors and awards and praises that they can heap on folks. And they can withhold those from Christians and bestow on those, uh, them on those who, who revile Christianity. And our answer is to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And they have money. And they have the ability to, to make people prosperous or to withhold prosperity. And they may exercise that to greater or lesser extents depending on the culture. That can happen. That has happened. That may happen again. That may be happening right now. Our answer is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They have mockery and reviling, ridicule for being Christians, ridiculing the faith. And our answer is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they have even physical persecution, which hasn't happened much in this culture for a long time, but it could come back. It's happening right now in other cultures. People are hurt. People are even killed because they, they tell the truth about Jesus. The temptation is to fight fire with fire, to, to insult with insult, reviling with reviling, persecution with persecution. But that is not our way. That is not what Christianity is called to. When the world does these things to us, our answer is to confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And with that weapon, church, with that weapon, that sword of the Spirit coming out of the mouth, we, with Jesus, will win. You, this week, confess Jesus Christ is Lord. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus, then we invite you to do that. He died so that you can live. His blood can wash away your sins in baptism and set you into a new life. If you need that today, why don't you come forward and tell us and we can baptize you and start a new life. If you need prayers or any other thing this church can do, why don't you come forward while we sing and we will help you. Why don't you come?